You're listening to Harvard Creatives. Welcome aboard an amazing journey of exploration as Harvard students discuss the meaning of creativity through their stories. Okay, um, hello everyone. So my name is Amina Sinogo. I am a first year student um, from Ottawa, Canada, and I have spent the past semester in the Creativity Gen Ed class, which was a fantastic class. I absolutely loved it. And for my creative project, I am creating a podcast series with other fellow students um, to get their takeaways from the class and understand how the classes helped shape them or not um, throughout the semester. So today I am here with... Hi, I'm Joey. I'm a second year student at Harvard. I'm from the suburbs of Indianapolis, Indiana, where I've been living the past year instead of FOHO, which is the house I would have been living in on campus, and I am studying linguistics. Um, we're going to start with just a very simple question um, about the class, and that question is, what is your definition of creativity as you have come to understand it? Oh, that's a tough one. You would think that I would know after studying it for the whole semester. I think to me, creativity is, oh no. <laughs> it's okay, it's okay, take your I time. Like, I feel like if anything, the one thing that I've gotten away from the class is there is no one way to define creativity. I mean, so many of the authors that we read all define it differently. And I feel like in everyone's life, it exerts itself in different ways, depending on the context and the person. So. I think the class, if anything, taught me that there is no definition for creativity. Okay, fair. If you were an author and you had to define creativity, what oh, would God. you say? <laughs> um, oh my God. <laughs> it's. I remember I took another class about happiness and we had this whole lesson about how people, like scientists try to measure happiness with like, other objective methods but in the end they just find out that the most effective method is to ask people how happy you are because it's something that everyone just knows when they feel it or when they see it and okay there's not really a good way to define it all right fair um well then if you don't have a definition per se and you kind of think that you either feel creative or you don't um would you say that, you, like, do you believe that you're a creative person? Like, do you feel creative? Yeah, I think I'm creative in certain ways. I think I'm not creative in the stereotypical way of being very artistic, whether that be like with actual art or with music or with words. Um, I think for me, my personal sense of creativity is more academic, okay. but in the sense of like coming up with creative solutions to problems kind of like in an engineering way I mean I don't want to go into engineering but kind of in yeah. that sense of the word where you're coming up with interesting original solutions so I guess in my life that's for me the definition of creativity it's coming up with original solutions to problems that you can't find out just by doing like some sort of mechanistic process it's yeah. something that you have to come through by viewing a problem from different angles and kind of thinking about ways of approaching it that aren't so obvious sometimes. Yeah. Um, I think that's a great definition. Um, and I guess 
this is this is very interesting um what you just said about mechanistic ways and how it might be hard to like be creative if you are being mechanistic and so i want to kind of veer i'll come back to this idea um but i want to talk a little bit about twyla tharp's rituals um because in this in this uh excerpt that we read we read that twyla tharp says you know having a ritual is one of the best ways to channel your creativity um and so I'll like read you a couple quotes from her that we like read and uh, yeah, just like, let me know what you think, if you agree with her, if you don't. Um, and I know that you also tried meditation when we were doing that uh, week of like daily rituals. And I also kind of want to know how yeah. that went for you. Um, so one of the quotes, it goes like this. A lot of habitually creative people have preparation rituals linked to the setting in which they choose to start their day. By putting themselves into that environment, they begin their creative day. I definitely agree with it. I mean, I guess it's hard to disagree in a sense because it's just a fact that a lot of people have the rituals. So it's not like I can disagree. But I guess I can also agree with it in the sense that I relate to it. For me, like I said, my creativity emerges more in an academic context. But I think I also have rituals of a sort. I mean, I'm one of those people that likes to have a really clean room. Um, so I'll always make my bed, clean Amazing. up my entire room before I start any sort of more brain intensive task because I can't bear to have a bunch of distractions um, just hanging around. And I also like to run a lot. And I find that sometimes if I'm experiencing like a creative block, it really helps me to go out and run and then shower and just kind of be at peace for a little bit and then reapproach the ideas and usually they end up coming a bit easier then. Yeah. So um well what you just said is perfectly connected to the next quote that I was gonna present to you um from the rituals excerpt which states that all preferred working states, no matter how eccentric, have one thing in common. When you enter into them, they impel you to get started. And so I guess from what I understand, your preferred working states would be cleanliness and I guess exhaustion to some extent after like a good run. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think physical exhaustion is kind of important sometimes to me, at least because if I feel too jittery or too antsy, then that sort of physical state prevents me from engaging my mind properly. So sometimes tiring out the body can be a helpful first step for um, engaging your mind. But I definitely also agree in with what she said about the states impelling you to do something because I remember I heard this in a YouTube video once and I found it very inspirational, but it was like a lot of the times when we aren't able to do anything to like attack a problem or something, it's because we feel like we have so many options and we just feel overwhelmed with things to do and that can be paralyzing. So we spend so much time thinking about what different things we could be doing instead of actually working on um, different approaches to a problem. And that a lot of times what this YouTuber was saying is like the best way to start working on a problem is just to do anything, literally do anything. It can be the dumbest thing in the world, but sometimes just getting your body into action, getting your mind into action will put you into the state of being able 
to also change the direction you're taking with the project. So as long as you're actually moving and doing something, then you're going to be able to get to your destination eventually. But if you're just sitting thinking about how you're going to get there, that's not really helping at all. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what what I'm hearing is that like these working states for you are like pretty habitual. Like when you do get into them, like things get done, right? Yeah, I'd say so. So I wonder how that statement would be compatible with what we said earlier about not being mechanistic um, and being as original as possible. Because the way that I kind of see it is that a ritual is a sort of like mechanistic way of like preparing yourself to be like creative. And in, in, to some extent it is a mechanism. Um, but as you've stated, and as Twyla Tharp states, that mechanistic thing is what is needed for you to like free your mind. And so I, I guess I wonder what your take is on that kind of dichotomy. Yeah, I think it makes perfect sense. I mean, to me, the just important thing is to distinguish the ritual that's beforehand versus the actual creative activity that comes afterward. I think in the same way that you can't really be creative if you have a lot of problems going on in your life, you know, if you don't have money to buy food, if you don't have a place to live. um, I mean, these are a lot graver problems, but in the same sense that you can't be creative unless you have that, um, I think it's also hard to be creative if you're not in a proper mindset. So I think the ritual um, gets you into that mindset precisely by being mechanistic. And, you know, like through psychology, you associate whatever the ritual is with feelings of peacefulness, calmness, or whatever other feelings help you. And so I think getting into those feelings helps you start to be creative. And then once you start doing the actual creative task, then the mechanistic modes of thinking kind of stop. Yeah, yeah, that's that. I I completely agree with that. And for me, like, so Twyla Tharp in in the excerpt, she kind of, uh, she she basically compares this idea of rituals to like a dance class where like people warm up at the beginning and then they like are able to unleash their creativity. And like I did gymnastics for like seven years, and so we always warmed up at the beginning. And for like a physical activity for me like it makes a lot of sense like obviously you have to warm up otherwise you're gonna like tear your muscles but I have a lot more trouble with rituals when it's like for the mind because like your mind's always running like it's not like you're not gonna like kill your mind if you like don't warm up you know what I'm saying and so a lot of the time for me I'm like I could meditate I could like do these rituals but like my brain's working like it's fine I'll just like I'll just do something. But yeah, I feel like I need to work on that. Yeah. I mean, I think it depends a lot on the task. If maybe if you're trying to learn a foreign language and your creative task is to write something like an essay in the foreign language, I think it would definitely be helpful to warm up in a sense by speaking the language before to just get your mind thinking in that way of speaking. But if you're doing something... I definitely don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) If you're doing something more like disconnected, I guess, from any particular systems, like if you're, I don't know, a good example, like if you're doing math problems for class, it's not like doing a few single digit addition problems is going to help you get warmed up. I think in situations like that, the best thing to do might just be to jump in. Because I think warming up can also, at least in my experience, if I try to warm up my mind, it can distract me more so than help me. 
Like if I'm doing a project about linguistics and I start looking up something about the language to kind of get back into the mind space of the project, I might find some random fun fact about the language and just kind of get sidetracked by some rabbit hole of like Wikipedia articles. And that'll just be more counterproductive than if I had just started the task straight off. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, thank you so much for that. Um, I wanted to share one last thing from the Tharp reading. It's a little bit unrelated to rituals, but she explained that when she was creating, she usually had like five fears slash doubts. And I wanted to ask you about your doubts if you want to be vulnerable in that way. And so I'll read through the five and I want you to let me know what is the like main one for you whenever you're creating anything. All right, so here goes. We have number one, people will laugh at me. Number two, someone has done it before. Number three, I have nothing to say. Number four, I will upset someone I love. And number five, once executed, the idea will never be as good as it is in my mind. I feel like the last one is definitely it for me. I mean, I might, at risk of sounding a bit cold-hearted, I feel like I never really worry about upsetting other people. Um, I guess that's also probably because that never really comes up in the context of my work. No one's going to be upset at me for solving a math problem or writing a paper about linguistics. Um, But I definitely felt the last one about how the idea will never be as good executed as it is in your head. And I think it's a problem a lot of Harvard kids especially have just perfectionism in general. Yeah. Um, Because I feel like we're all really good at spotting whether something is good or not. And it can be hard when there's a discrepancy between your ability to tell how good or not something is versus your actual ability to produce it. Because if you're a true beginner at something, then you have the benefit of not really knowing what's good and what's not. So you can just do whatever and you won't feel bad about it. But if you know what it takes to make something good, but you know you yourself aren't able to make it, that definitely discourages you from doing it. And I think it all goes back to the question of um, doing something as opposed to just sitting there thinking about it. If I know that I have an idea, I might be searching for those words or that way of um, executing the idea that's perfect and that matches up to exactly what my idea is in my head, but there's never going to be a perfect way to execute it. And I think that paralyzes me a lot of that feeling of I need the perfect way to describe this or to explain this. And a lot of the times it's easier just to put down something on paper that I know won't quite hit the mark, but that'll be a lot more helpful than me sitting there trying to think up the perfect idea first. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess this is this is a pretty good segue into my questions about like your my character assignment. Um because I want to ask, did you kind of feel that when you were making your either like your first version of my character or your like second revised one? Um, did you feel like the execution wasn't as good as you had envisioned? Or do you think it was the same or better? How did you feel about that? Like doing that? Yeah, I think for the my character, I wasn't as plagued by that insecurity of it being perfect for two reasons. One is that I was picking an artistic, more or less, way of representation as opposed to, I don't know, like a verbal or with words way. And I know that my artistic skills aren't the best in the world, especially for the first one where I was drawing it by hand. 
So I wasn't really expecting it to be perfect. So in that sense, that kind of liberated me of the expectation. Mm-hmm. And the second reason, maybe a bit sillier, but at the same time, kind of more powerful was just that I saw everyone else's characters not being that good. I mean, quote unquote, like they were good in the sense that they had a good explanation behind them and stuff, but no one else's characters, well, some people's were, but most people's weren't like artistic masterpieces or vocal masterpieces. So I think knowing that other people's, my characters were the type of thing that I could also produce helped me just be confident in my ability to make one myself. Yeah, so breaking down that that uh, perfect Harvard student and being able to see like, oh, actually, all these other people are kind of normal and like, I can do the same thing. Yeah, I, I yeah, feel exactly. That. And I think part of it is also just I saw other people's my characters and I genuine and I genuinely like them. It wasn't that I saw them and I was like, oh, this person made a shitty character, so I can too, and it won't be a problem. It was that I saw theirs and I was like, despite the fact that this is not an artistic masterpiece, I think it um, applies to the assignment well. And I think it's very interesting and beautiful in a way. And so that itself was kind of empowering. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Um, And so I want to ask you a last question about uh, your my character, because I thought it was really interesting. Um, And you started with like a stick figure of like some core values and some like different things that um, like were a part of you. And then in your like redoing it, you added more like pictures to kind of show these different um, values. So I remember you put things like books and songs and learning and education and family and travel. and all these types of amazing things. Um, And so I want to ask you how, so if you feel that like those values are like kind of at your, at your core, um, I wonder if you think that those are changeable or do you think that they're intrinsic? Um, I think they are really intrinsic. And I think even the contents are too, in the sense that they were part of my life and I can't erase them from my memory, at least not at this point in time. So it's like, as much as I might not like certain things to be part of my influence, they are at the end of the day. And I mean, that was kind of the point of the of my second, my character, um, in opposition to the first one, is that the course kind of helped me realize how much you're not really original in any way. I mean, everything you say, everything you think, everything you experience is based off of all these other experiences and things that people have yeah. said to you before. I mean, any idea that I have is really just a product of everything everyone else has told me in the past and me just synthesizing that and packaging it in a way that seems good to me. And yeah, I think there's no real way of me eliminating those influences sometimes. Like, I mean, say that my mom or my dad um, was, I'm trying to think of an example that's not too traumatic, but like if one of my parents was really abusive and that really affected me. I mean, I might not want that to be a part of my identity, but at the end of the day, it'll affect me and it'll affect the ways that I view the world. And so I think it might not be an intrinsic value in the sense that you value the abuse, but it'll be intrinsic in the sense that it's an unremovable piece of your personality and how you view the world. Yeah, yeah, of course. And so like these like values and all of these intrinsic things, I wonder, did, um, I know that 
in like week three, I believe uh, we were working on a ritual and you were meditating. And I wonder if the ritual of meditation for you, like, did it work and did it maybe help you connect with some of those like intrinsic core values? Yeah. So the reason that I had picked to meditate was because I tried it for another class before um, a class where we were talking about happiness and where we had learned that meditation is a good way to boost your happiness for a lot of people. And so I decided to give it another try because it hadn't really stuck after the happiness class. And I really liked it. I think it does help clear your mind in a sense. But I think at the end of the day, I won't continue with it just because I think a big part of meditation is helping you be more aware of your thoughts and helping you maybe be more at peace with the way that you are and the way that things are in the world and maybe not being so reactive to things. Like I think for a lot of people, meditation is a way to reduce anger um, or feelings like that. And I think for me, that's not really something I want. I mean, yeah, in a sense, I want to be less angry, but I think I'm already a very reflective person, um, very, I don't know, slow to get angry in a lot of situations. So I think for me, I don't really need to work on that more. I think for me, my time might be better spent going out and, I don't know, finding things that would make me angry in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's fair. Um, And and I think think meditation doesn't... I know a lot of people say that like it works for everything one and you just have to like stick with it long enough. But personally, I don't believe that it works for everyone. It didn't really work for me either. Um, but yeah, I feel like, I feel like it can work for a lot of people, but it, it's definitely not for everyone. And maybe, maybe you'll find a ritual. Maybe you won't. Um, maybe meditation isn't your ritual, but I mean, it, it's a good thing that you gave it a try. Um, yeah. I think there's lots of different rituals that kind of, target different areas of your life and I don't know for me I feel like a good life philosophy is just give everything a try and if it works it works if it doesn't you don't no one's forcing you to do it yeah that's amazing okay so we are coming close to the end of the podcast and my second to last question for you is what is one takeaway that you have from this class good bad a quote an activity, just something that you will forever remember from this gen ed? One quote. I think it's so hard to distill it down to one. I think one of the most important lessons I learned, though, well, this one I already talked about, like the originality and the fact that we're really a product of everything we've heard. But I guess to touch a different point, one of the things that stuck with me most was our whole lesson about hyper versus hypofrontality And this whole idea that sometimes a lot of conscious work doesn't get you anywhere, but that conscious work precedes a period of subconscious work inside your brain that ends up giving you creative insights at random times. And one thing that really struck me was the conversation we had in class right after the day where we read that, where a lot of people were talking about how Harvard doesn't really give people the time to engage that hypofrontal part of the creative process and I think that really struck me and I think that's something that I am really going to try to keep in mind like as I go forward with my life is that you can spend all day working but at the end of the day having time for your mind to wander and having time 
to just reflect on something other than your work is equally important in getting good results. And yeah, I think that's something that really touched me from the class. Yeah, amazing. Okay. And so for a lot of people, the answer to this question and to the following are different. But I kind of want to give you a chance to think about it, because I guess in the spirit of this creative project, since it's all about figuring out how how to share what we've learned beyond the confines of our class. My last question for you is if there was one thing that you could share with other Harvard students who were not able to take this class and who may take it in the future or not, what would you like to share with them? I think in terms of giving them an insight from the class, it would probably be the same thing that I just said just because I think it is such a pervasive problem at Harvard. Um, and not even just for creativity. I mean, giving yourself time to reflect, giving yourself enough time to sleep is so important for your physical yeah. and mental health in a lot more important ways even than being creative. So I think if I were to tell anyone to do anything, it would just be, you know, get enough sleep, give yourself time to relax, you know, do self-care. Um, if I were going to tell them anything in terms of taking the class, to you know like a cue guide type response honestly it might sound a bit pessimistic but i think the class works more for people who really want to improve their creativity and who are really dedicated to creativity already i think you know to give a contrasting example i took a class about happiness like i said and we yeah. spent a whole like week or two discussing why it's so important to be happy and why you should want to be happy personally. And honestly, in this class, I didn't feel that as much. I felt like, okay. you know, we all, it was kind of assumed that we would all want to be creative. But like for me personally, I actually don't really want to be more creative. I don't think I'm the yeah. most creative person in the world, but I don't really want to be more creative. And the class was really interesting still. I loved learning about it, but I think the class would be a lot more useful if you already had that desire to, you know, maximize your creative potential and explore more about creativity in a more hands-on way yeah that's an amazing insight thank you so much for sharing that and i mean this this concludes our podcast thank you so much for sharing everything that you did and for being so opening to answering my questions yeah thank you so much for having me it was a fun talk all right thank you thank you so much for tuning into this episode of harvard creatives see you in the next one